Father, we come this morning and our hearts are filled with joy and rejoicing and just in awe of you, in awe of what you have done. And we just say to all these things, as we've even sang already, we recognize that it is to you belong authority, dominion, and power. And we desire that your name would be honored, praised, exalted, glorified. That is our heart. That is our desire this morning. And that is even what we've, we've been doing. We've been honoring and exalting and glorifying your name. And may we ever continue to do that as we turn to your word and as we seek to hear from scripture. And we know that when we read scripture, when we go to scripture, when scripture speaks, God speaks. Amen. And so we do hear you in your word. And so we come this morning recognizing that and we come confessing our need for you in every area of our life. There's not one area we don't need you. And so we come and we, we seek your face this morning. We pray that, Lord, your, your, your work would be done in us. And your work would be done here in this area. And your work would be done in our world for your glory. And so we look to you. We pray, Father, as you know each person's need this morning. You know uh, the things that are on their heart, the thoughts they've been having all week long, the, the things that they've been feeling, and, and, and we just come recognizing you. You know all these things, and even right now I pray each person here would just simply entrust themselves to you, recognizing you know and you're with them. And may you help them this morning to be comforted, encouraged, and spurred on by your word in all ways and in all directions towards Christ and the exaltation of Christ to your glory, Father. And so we pray now as we turn to your word, we just entrust ourselves to you. May that be our demeanor in coming to your word heart of just here I am Lord I'm just ready and I give myself to you and all your good word that you would lead me in and so may that be our heart as we turn to it in Jesus name amen, amen. well if you would go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the gospel of John this morning and we're going to continue in the gospel of John with John chapter 12, we'll be in verses 27 through 36 this morning. Now, a number of years ago, and in fact, a good many number of years ago, now I think it's, what, 23 years ago, in 1998, I, along with, you know, many others, were going to see a movie. And that movie was the movie Saving Private Ryan. So there was, you know, quite the buzz. 
about this movie. It was a new sort of movie at the time. You know, it, it saw things a bit different, did filming of the, the scenes a bit differently. You know, the camera angles were done in a different way. The action and the intensity of it was, was different as well. And with that movie, we get kind of a glimpse into, yes, you know, World War II, but we also kind of get a glimpse into one of the most pivotal moments of World War II, June 6, 1944, or as you know, you know, D-Day. And as you watch this fretful scene, you know, the, the Higgins boats, they're, they're drawing nearer and nearer to Omaha Beach until finally, you know, the doors, they open up and the, this fury of bullets come zipping after and upon those in the boats. And you just, you can't help as you watch this being drawn into the movie and even imagining what those men were thinking, you know, before those doors were opened. You know, sure, they had their training and everything else, but the weight of the task set before them, many of them hoping that they would live, but even as we know, many of them most certainly did not live, and many of them most certainly did die. You know, the, the, the angst, the, the trouble of soul that must have been just bearing down upon them, knowing and perhaps not knowing a lot of things about what is going to happen when that door opens up. Well, in our passage this morning, the reality of the task set before Jesus, it is now not years away but only a few days away. There are only a few more days left before he will bear the cross for us before the the door drops. So even as we saw him last week go directly into the storm with a triumphal entry, we see the weight of the storm now bearing down upon him and his soul. And so we see this beginning there in verse 27. May God bless the reading of his God-glorifying word. Amen. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice from heaven came and said, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And the crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to them. And Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler 
of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, would draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. And so the crowds, or the crowd answered him. We've heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? And so Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you might become sons of light. And so the first words that we read here, they come right off of where we left off last week. So... You just look up in your Bibles there, verses 20 through 26. They flow right into our verses this morning. And so, in fact, here, Jesus' words are still within that conversation that he was having with the Greeks, so the Gentiles. And so in verse 23, Jesus told us that his hour had come. And that hour, it's not an hour that will be filled with with cakes and comforts. It is an hour of a cross. And so he, and we saw this, we saw him boldly ride into the storm in verses 12 through 19 with a triumphal entry on this humble donkey. But that in no way means that what lies ahead for him will be easy. In fact, what lies ahead for him will be anything but easy. He will do it, but words cannot express nor mind fathom the incredible, unimaginable weight that lay ahead of Christ. It will be the weight of the world upon him. The wrath of God coming upon him. All your sin and your guilt down upon him. We can't fathom that. It's something he uniquely would bear and know and experience. But in seeing that, it certainly should not surprise us then to see in this way. In these verses, these opening verses, to see here the troubled agony of Christ in verses 27 and 28. Now I say that, but it still may surprise us. (laughs) And why do I say it may surprise us? Well, you know, there are, as we're trying to understand Christ and who he is, there, are, there can be these certain imbalances that we may have in our understanding of Christ. You know, some, they may, they may lift so high his humanity that they miss his deity. 
And then others, they may lift so high his deity that they miss his humanity. And that may be a struggle that we have as we are witnessing here Jesus and his angst, his anguish, even as we we saw in Isaiah 53, anguished of soul, this troubledness of Christ. And so, yes, we may rightly see how deeply and persistently the Gospel of John, it emphasizes Jesus' deity, the fact that he is God. He is the Word made flesh. He is the great I Am. But then miss its emphasis on his humanity. The Word made flesh. And so we see both. We see both in the Gospel of John that he is God and he is man. And praise God, he is fully man. Whatever he did not come become for us, he would not have redeemed for us. So we aren't making any of this up. We're not kind of fabricating all this, who Jesus is. No, we are setting forth a doctrine of the person of Christ that reflects the fullness of the glories that we see and we even have been seeing in this gospel again and again. And so we uphold what Scripture upholds. And we see it and we ought to worship and adore. So in holding these two truths together that Jesus is both fully God and fully man, we see then and we're not surprised at his agony and his trouble and his anguish of soul. We see that it is real. It was real, his experiences here. And Jesus, he isn't, he isn't sinfully troubled here. Jesus never would sin. He would never walk in ways that are displeasing to God. Everything he would do all the time was honoring, glorifying, and pleasing to God. And everything he did, including this. And so his trouble here, it is a, it is a perfect trouble. It's, a, it's righteous and even a kind of Godward trouble And so there is a sort of trouble that you can have an angst, an agony of soul that is possible apart from sinning. It's a trouble that isn't absent of a heart beating for God's glory, but it's a heart full and fully aimed at God's glory. And his heart hasn't moved from that. It's still aimed at God and his magnification, his glory. And so it is that he says, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. 
And this has the same kind of flavor that we see from other from the other gospels as well, you know, where where Jesus he says, "My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I, not as I will, but as you will." And so the weight of the cross, it is great and it is real. Yet even so, we see here that Jesus was resolute. He was not going to do anything other than that for which he came. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. He was born into this world for this purpose. And so talk about the purpose-driven life. Well, Jesus lived out his purpose to the full. He was resolute. So even in the midst of the agony of soul, in the midst of the weight of sin and wrath and shame that is set before him, he prays, Father, glorify your name. Thy will be done. And so he says, yes, Father, I will go all the way ahead and will not stop. As they mock me, as they strip me of my clothes, as they put on that scarlet robe and put on the crown of thorns, as they have me bear the cross and then nail me to it, as they scoff and they they revile, Father, glorify your name. And he would glorify God to the end, obedient unto death. And he would fulfill his purpose. And so we see his purpose here. And so see his purpose and see yours also. Even as we see his purpose, we see that his purpose isn't far from ours. If you remember from last week or in verses 23 through 26, what did Jesus do? He said, you see my death, that's going to be you in following me. That's what you need to look like in following me. He who loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it. My death is to be your death as well. And so, we're not to go on. We're to we're to see Jesus here and, and see that his purpose is rather very close to what we're called to do. Jesus alone, yes, would bear that cross. He would bear that shame. He would bear that death. But we also are to go on not loving our lives, but hating our lives in this world, taking up our crosses and following him. So you see how his death is it's to be our death. That's what you take up when you follow Christ. You take up a cross. And where does the cross lead you? It leads you to you dying. 
And so embrace your purpose. And your purpose is this. Glorify his name. Glorify his name. Jesus' prayer is to be our prayer. You know, when I came to faith in Christ, and I realized this, when I understood my purpose is that, wow, it was, it was one of the most freeing things in the world to me. The world exploded with meaning and purpose and everything around me made sense. All of this was made for the glory of God and all of me. I was made for the glory of God also. So I know then what I am to do and you know then what you are to do. And so my life was to believe, be lived for this purpose, the glory of God. You know, I remember once talking to someone you know, and they weren't a believer, and they'd been all over the world, you know, and seen all kinds of things. You know, they'd been to India, you know, they'd been to China, they'd been to Africa, and they'd been to all variety of other places. And they told me, you know, oh, you just believe in Christianity because you haven't seen the world. You haven't experienced all the different cultures and seen the different religions of the world. I don't need to do that. Nor do you. God tells us. He gives us revelation from above. He speaks capital T truth to us. And he tells us why he made us. Which is what we see here in part. And we see also throughout all of scripture. God, He has spoken and He has told us why we live and why we exist, why there is this universe and all of creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. And then Isaiah 43.7, He tells us, Everyone who is called by My name, whom I have created for My glory, whom I have formed and made, you are made for His glory. And then Paul in 1 Corinthians 10.31, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And we see it in Jesus. As His life was lived for God's glory, so we are to live for God's glory also. I mean, remember just what Jesus said just a moment ago in verse 26. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. And what will his servant be found doing? Glorifying God. Just like Jesus was glorifying God and prayed, glorify your name. And so saint... Glorify His name. That is your purpose. That is your life. 
You may not be a pastor. You may not be a missionary or evangelist or something else, a Sunday school teacher or whatever you are. You were made for God's glory in every area of life that you are in. It always is calling you to glorify God there. Whatever you do, whatever your job is, wherever you are, that's what you're called to do. And so is your heart troubled? Well, aim here. Reorient and redirect your aim, your eyes, your focus, your thoughts. Because even as this world and its troubles come, and they can take our eyes as people who are sinners, you know, we, you know, they can so easily direct our eyes to other things so quickly and so easily. Well, we need to re- redirect all of that towards glorifying and honoring God. That is your purpose, regardless what's going on in your life. So, Father... Your soul may be troubled. You pray the same thing. Father, glorify your name in this. And so following those first verses in Jesus' troubled soul and his prayer here, next we see the thundering voice of God in verses 28 to 33. And so God, he, he answers Jesus. And he answers simply with this point, he will glorify it. He will glorify it. And so God, he answers specifically, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And so he affirms here two things. And the first is he affirms here the Father has been glorifying his name all along through Jesus. So he, he has glorified his name in Jesus' life, his, his ministry, his words, and in a life that is set apart in submission to the Father. So Jesus, he is the embodiment of a life lived for God's glory. And we can't just say, well, you know, going back to our problem we had earlier, you know, deity, humanity, we cannot, we don't just need to say, well, he was God. No, 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 no. First John says you are to live in the same, in the same way he walks, you are to walk also. So he's not, this isn't a life that you're saying, well, that's out of my reach. Well, this is something you're called to do. You're called to be by the power of the Spirit of God that is inside of you in the midst of all your imperfections and sins as we go in this life. Even as we know we won't reach that perfection in this life, we are to be like Him. And so the statement by John Piper, which you may or may not know who that is, but He says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. It is exemplified in Jesus. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied 
in him. It is exemplified in Jesus. So Jesus, his delight was, is, and has eternally been God. It's been mind-blowingly, it's been in himself. And he exemplifies all that we are to be. He was the most human. In fact, he was fully human. More than we are. He, he, he was without sin in any way. He was most human, most glad, and the most God-delighting person who ever lived. And in that way, God has glorified it. And then second, the Father declares that He will glorify it again in the lifting up of His Son. In Jesus' death, God will get all the glory. And so also, in the new life you have in Christ, you're taking up your cross. You're dying to yourself and living for Christ. God is and God will be glorified. So I say to that, Lord, all the more. May I die more and may he live ever more through me for the glory of your name. Less of me, more of you. And so God answers Jesus. But as we see, he doesn't speak for Jesus' sake, but for the people's. Verse 30. Yet it's, it's... Kind of strange here. It's both clear that God spoke to them, yet somehow it's just unclear. You know, so how, how so? Well, the crowd they heard it, and it sounded like thunder to them, but they didn't understand it. Verse twenty nine, and then then others there thought it was an angel speaking to Jesus, and so they don't quite get what was happening there. And then Jesus tells us this voice. It came not. For his sake, but for their sake. In verse 30. So somehow, even though they didn't quite get what he was saying, the thundering voice of God, it functioned in its intended way. How? It's put the spotlight on Jesus and it highlighted then what he was getting ready to say next. It brought gravity and weight to his words that followed. It magnified the truth that Jesus would, would be lifted up. And so in Jesus' words that followed the thundering voice of God, we see then three ways or three things in how the gravity and all these things come to pass and, and the weight of his words are seen and even the words themselves are weighty. And so we see three things that will happen when Jesus is lifted up. In verses 31 through 33. So the first, when Jesus is lifted up, the world will be judged. Verse 31. Now, you may be saying at that, well, wait a minute. <laughs> I thought all of that was to come, you know. I mean, what does Jesus mean here by saying, now is the judgment of the world? 
Well, when Jesus is crucified, his crucifixion is judgment. It's God's clear judgment on sin and declaration of his vast displeasure with the world and with rebellion. The, God, the cross, it is God's stake in the ground that this world is finished. It will not endure. It will come to its appointed end. It's God's clear delineation that there are those who are with Jesus and those who are not. Those who know God and those who don't. It's not John 3.16. It's John 3.18. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And so... It is a judgment on the world. And then second, when Jesus is lifted up, he will cast out the devil. Now in case there's any confusion, the ruler here, or there in verse 31, it's not God. (laughs) Nor is this ruler, if maybe you thought that the devil and God were kind of, you know, dueling it out, who's going to win, you know? That's not the case This ruler is not on the same plane with God. He was made by God. A creation of God. And can't even express how far he is from God and being God. So who is this talking about? Well, it's talking about the devil. So since Genesis 3, the fall... Adam and Eve sinned. The allegiance of the world at that moment changed. People turned from God to the devil. And they believed whose word? The serpent. And they believed his word then. And they believe the devil's word now rather than God's word the same tension we're all facing every day. <laughs> that whisper coming at you. you know? Are you sure about that? Are you sure you can believe God and His Word? The refrain of the world. And there is the ruler. And so it is that right now the devil, he holds sway as the ruler over this world. And the world still follows the dictates of that snake. But when Jesus was lifted up, Satan was dethroned and Christ, he was enthroned. Satan would be defeated and all of his accusations against God's elect would hold sway no more. And so he will cast out the devil at the cross. And then third, when Jesus is lifted up, he will draw all people and nations to himself. Verse 32. So he will draw in the sense that we have, we've seen in the Gospel of John already. 
in the sense of John 6:44, where it says, "No one came to me, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him." There's the word "draw," and I will raise him up on the last day. And as we've seen, Jesus, he tells us that he will not lose even one of those. He will draw his sheep to himself and no one's going to snatch them from his hand or the Father's hand. And so this is not saying that all people will be saved. It's saying God will draw people from all peoples throughout the world to Christ. Whether Jew, Greek, or Gentile. So all who are his sheep will come among all the tribes, all nations, tongues, and peoples. All of this then, judgment in the world, casting out of the devil, drawing all people and nations to himself, all that comes at the cross and with the cross. And so what are we to do In light of these glorious three things, will fear not this world nor its devils. The world and the devil may well rant and rave against God, but it does not have the final word. The Protestant reformer Martin Luther, he rightly counsels us here. But when the devil throws our sins up to us and declares that we deserve death and hell, then we ought to say, indeed, I confess that I do deserve death and hell. But what afterward? Will I therefore be condemned eternally? By no means. For I know a certain one who suffered and made satisfaction for me. And he is called Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Where he is, there I shall be also. So we aren't to go about trembling as though the world or the devil have victory over us. But boldly declare we belong to Christ. And so it is that we now walk and live by the power of that one who came and died for us. By the power of Christ. And so if you know him, his righteousness is yours. And so over your head stand the words justified rather than condemned. Amen. So if you know Christ this morning... He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of our flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. 
Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord. And as we see all this, we're not done yet. We don't end there in our passage. The crowds, they hear Jesus' words and they wonder on still. They have their questions, questions about the law, you know, how the law said Christ, the Christ would endure forever. And about the Son of Man being lifted up. What do you mean by that? And oh, by the way, who, do you, who is the Son of Man? I don't even know who you're talking about. And so the law, it does say that. The Christ will endure forever. And I'll leave that up to you to go look at in Isaiah chapter 9, 2 Samuel 7, and Daniel 7, and Psalm 110, 4, and more. He will endure forever, just not in the way that they think. And so, instead of answering all that, what does Jesus do? In response to all of their questions, he doesn't answer any of those things. But he has a reason for that. The time right now, at this point in the Gospel of John, is urgent. And so he answers urgently. His time is drawing near, and so he tells them, now is the time to become sons of light. Verses 34 and 30 through 36. And so he directs them to their central need. You have all those questions. But you need me. He won't be physically present there any longer. And so he urgently calls them to himself. He's saying to them and to you, no longer walk in darkness while Jesus, the light, is there. There at that moment. And right now we have this moment before he returns. And so his urgent plea to you is believe. Don't wait. Believe. Be sons of light. And there are no half sons. There are no half sons of light. We don't go around saying, I'm half an engineer. You know, I'm really just kind of a half a chef. You know, I'm half a teacher. I'm half an accountant. I'm half a nurse. I'm half a pastor. In the same way, there are no half sons. There are no half Christians, you are either sons of light or you are not. And so he's calling them to be wholly his right now. And he's setting the same plea before you and I also. Believe. 
look to Christ this morning. And if you don't know him, there is still time. He's pleading with you, come and believe in me. And for those of us who do, go and tell the good news of this gospel just as urgently. And so as sons of light, and in view of him who was lifted up for you, go and glorify his name. Go and glorify his name. Let's pray. Father, we come and we just pray to you. Father, glorify your name. For some here that may mean they need to believe in Christ for the first time. They need to throw them whole selves, their whole selves upon Christ, believing and repenting and taking up their cross and following him. And for others, it may mean, Lord, many things. Perhaps we've given our lives over to a good many things, yet miss the main thing. Father, glorify your name. May that be our heart. And whatever we do, may you work, Lord. Help that be our heart and not fear this world nor its devils. But know what Christ has done for us and really believe it and really go and live it out for your glory. And so we ask that you would help us to respond to your word this morning and help us to receive it and go and do it. As we sing, Lord, we pray, help us respond in Jesus' name. Amen.